Well, hi again, guys. <laughs> um, we had a bit of a scheduling conflict last, last weekend. Uh, I thought I was preaching in two weeks' time, and Brad uh, thought I was preaching today. So we had a bit of a, a mix-up. So if you're, if you're new to the port, it's not usually kind of just a one-man show where you get me doing all the stuff. No, that's just, that's just a one-off today. <laughs> and uh, so... Yeah, I'm preaching today, and I'm really excited to have this opportunity to be in, in the Word. We've been going through a series called Transform. The idea was to take a four-week series before our summer to look at the Christian life. Because I think it's easy in our culture, the way we look at religion, to see it as just another part of our life, as kind of one of the things that we add to give us a full life. So we have our family, our relationships, we have our work, our careers, and then we have our religion. And we just wanted to take some time to say, you know, that's, that's not right. That the Christian life is something that transforms every area of our life. That our relationship with Jesus, that our faith in Christ transforms every area of our life. That it informs how we live in our relationships, what we do in the workplace, how we treat our families and lead them and, and, and grow them into godliness. So that's what we're doing. We're in this series and I'm continuing today uh, as we take a look this morning into Second Peter. So I want to invite you to open the Word of God with me to Second Peter. If it's been a while since you've been in that part of the Bible, basically head right to the back in Revelation and then just kind of a few pages forward, head through Jude and the first Johns, and then you, you'll, you'll find your way to Second Peter. And we're going to be reading from chapter 1. And as you're finding that, can I invite you to stand this morning? If you are new or a guest here with us this morning, we stand at CA Church across all our campuses because we want to signify that as we read this, this is God's living word, that the Holy Spirit, which is God's spirit, inspired this word, and that we this morning are about to read from the words of life that God has purposed for us this morning to grow in Christ-likeness. So let's read from 2 Peter chapter 1, starting at verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason... For this very reason, make effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we are here this morning gathered as your church, that we have this opportunity to do something unique on a weekly basis, which is to come together, to to see that, Lord, we are part of something bigger than ourselves, that you are at work in our city building your kingdom, and you've chosen to do it through us, and we gather this morning to be encouraged, 
to sing these songs that point us to the work and worth of Jesus, to bring our souls encouragement about all that Christ has done and all that you are doing in our lives. And now as we come to your word, we know that your Holy Spirit is here with us and we ask that you would illuminate this to us, that you would bring it to life in such a way that it would bear upon our lives and bring out fruit. We want to leave this place looking more like you, Jesus, and the good news is that your word and your spirit can do that in our lives. So, would you soften the ground? Would you help us to take down those walls? Would you help us to ready our hearts, to to go beneath the surface and to start softening the ground that we might hear your word today and your spirit would bring challenge, encouragement, conviction. Lord, we want to look more like you, so speak today. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You guys can take a seat this morning. Our big idea for this morning is this, that grace grounds and grows our godliness. So if you're taking any notes, if that's kind of your your style of, of, of listening and engaging with the word today, that's our big idea, okay? That grace grounds and grows our godliness. I used to be someone, whenever I heard kind of an idea in a sermon like that, and it had alliteration, we just had four G's in a row right there, I used to be like, wow, Whoever came up with that big idea must be sacrificing some theological depth just so they can get some alliteration going on in a row, right? And think we, you probably maybe heard it, oh, it's got some Gs. What's the deal with that? Grace and godliness and growth. Okay, this guy's sacrificing something just to make it snappy. Here's the deal. I was at Together for the Gospel a few weeks ago with Pastor Brad and a few others from our church, and I was listening to one of the foremost scholars on New Testament Greek and Aramaic, and he was looking at the Sermon on the Mount, and he was basically making the argument that In the Sermon on the Mount, the way that Jesus laid out the Beatitudes in the original language, he was using alliteration. So Jesus was using alliteration in his Sermon on the Mount to make it a little bit more snappy and memorable because it's part of how our minds work is that language has an effect. And we, 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 we are conscious of that this morning. So Jesus used alliteration. And if it's good enough for him, it's good enough for me this morning. So grace grounds and grows our godliness. That's our big idea for this morning. So let's dive in. Our first point, grace grounds godliness. Can we look at verse 3 together? Isn't that a verse worth reading a few times? His divine power, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Brad often speaks about that specific meaning of the word all things in the Greek, and it means all things. This is an encouragement to us this morning, and I want us to look at this together. Can we just stop for a second? If you're like me, then there are going to be times in the Christian life where the kind of life that we are called to, the things that Jesus asks of us, the sort of things we read here in this list of virtues When we see these things and we look at the Christian life and we think, how on earth could I do that? How on earth could I, in my brokenness and in my propensity to stumble and fall, how could I live this kind of godly life? What would it look like? I I just don't have it in me to do that. And sometimes I read through the word of God and I see the kind of things that Jesus is calling me to. And I feel overwhelmed and I just think there is no way that I have it within myself to do this. I don't have it. You know, there are some verses that I almost read it and, and there's something in me that just goes, nope, that, that's not going to work for me. I, I, I don't have the ability to do that. Have you guys ever had a moment like that where perhaps you just need to nope out of a situation? I mean, 
it might be, if you have a fear of spiders, you kind of walk into a room, you see a spider, it's like, nope, I'm out. Uh, whatever needed to happen in that room can wait maybe a week or two, or I'll just, I'll just duct tape the door and never go in that room because there's a spider in there. That's, that's my wife's approach. And for me, I remember this experience where I was sitting, taking my mathematics exam. It was a really important maths exam um, for my A-levels in England, which is the kind of qualification that we get. And I'd studied weeks and weeks and weeks for this. And then I talked to my friend right before we went, and I was like, dude, how much have you studied for this? And he just said, oh, I haven't, I haven't studied at all. And we went down, and we sat down, and I just watched him for the first 30 seconds. He just read those eight questions, just said, nope, <laughs> and got up and walked out. And that's what he did. That was his response. And maybe that's the way that we see the Christian life. We read the kind of things that we're called to do and the ways that we're supposed to live and the kind of way that our life should look, and we just think, nope. Like, not for me. I can't do it. Not today. I ain't got it in me today. Well, I think a lot of us feel that on a daily basis. Maybe you feel like you don't just have it in you to be less angry at your co-workers. Maybe you don't feel like you have it in you to say no to maybe crossing the line with your girlfriend or boyfriend sexually. Maybe you feel like you don't just have it in you to have and grow a patient, humble, generous, joyful attitude in all things. Or perhaps you aren't even a Christian and you're here this morning and you're like, I've heard some of the things that Jesus says we're supposed to do and I don't know how to do those things. We have encouragement this morning right from the beginning of this first verse. His divine power has made available to us all things that we need to live a godly life. So what is godliness? It's this word that Peter is using to describe this kind of life that God expects and desires of his people. For those people who are Christ followers, God desires that we live a godly life. And this word godliness is kind of the catch-all for that sort of a life. A life that is pleasing to God. And from the beginning, Peter is saying right here that it is the grace of God that grounds this kind of godliness in our life. That God has made available to us all things we need to live this kind of life that we never imagined that we could. If we see the text, he goes on to say that this power that has been made available to us has been made available in a specific way. Let's see what it says in verse 4. Sorry, at the end of uh, halfway through verse 3, it says, Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. So what's Peter saying here? What is Peter saying here? He's saying a beautifully simple thing for us. That this power of God, our ability to have this godliness in our life is is down to one thing. It's knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's a relationship with Jesus. It's knowing Jesus. And this morning, by the grace of God... We know that we have our sins forgiven by the work of Christ on the cross and that the Spirit of God comes in us as we begin to know Jesus personally in relationship. And that secret to godliness this morning, the kind of life that we are being called to, the secret that Peter is saying here today is a relationship with God, is knowledge of Jesus Christ. And what's the good news about that? Knowing Jesus is a free gift that is given to us that we could never earn ourselves, but God, through his unmerited favor, is giving it to us this morning. I want to contrast that with something like Scientology. 
If you're in Scientology, the way to, to more of a, they don't use the word godliness, but a freer, more disconnected life where you are in this state of kind of moral perfection, that you're moving upwards. What's the secret to getting there? Well, you have to pay $10,000, $50,000, $100,000 to get to that next level so that you can hopefully one day gain all the knowledge that you need to get to this place of being fully enlightened. And it only costs you $2 million to get there. But this morning, that's not what Peter's saying. He's saying that everything we need to live a life of godliness has been given to us as a free gift through knowing Jesus Christ. And it's by his grace that our godliness is grounded. We hit some pretty huge theology, a chunky like filet mignon theology in verse 4. What does he say? He continues. He says, by which he has granted to us very precious and great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Wow. Becoming partakers of the divine nature. Now that's something that we could very quickly get into some heresies on. And if you look at church history, there are some people who have spent time on that and they've taken it the wrong way and they've ended up in some pretty dodgy territory. So what on earth is Peter saying here? If we're not careful, it could almost sound like he's calling us to become God, to become mini-gods. And that's something that the Mormons do, and we don't do that. So what, what's Peter talking about here? Well, Peter's providing a theological support to what we've just seen him say in verse 3. He knows that there are some people who are going to want some sources to back up what he's saying about this whole knowing Jesus being the grounds of our godliness thing. It's like any good undergraduate research paper that you learn to write in college. You have to back up your argument with sources, with arguments and, and quotes. Otherwise, if you don't support your argument, you're going to at best maybe get a D or a C plus if you're really good. So I want us to work backwards really quickly here. Just kind of put on our Bible study lens to maybe unpack a little bit of what he's saying here. What does verse 4 say? At the end it says, we were once held captive to sinful desire." We had no hope of godliness because we were lost in our sin. And we feel the weight of that, right? We feel that. Where is this godliness going to come from? That propensity to sin just keeps us bound. And Peter's saying we were once held captive to that sinful desire. We've all been there. It's not a good idea for us to look inward for that godliness because for the most part, we are often kind of walking, talking, mini, mini disasters that just walk around and we don't have that in and of ourselves. But, Peter is saying, we become partakers in the divine nature because of, and if you head over to the end of verse 3 with me, what does he say? Because of his own glory and excellence. So how does the grace of God ground our godliness? Because through knowing Christ, our old sinful self is taken care of on the cross. It's buried, it's killed, it goes down with Jesus. And we are then welcomed into this new life of Jesus where we are given a new nature. We're made alive in him and we share in now God's righteousness. It's not our own godliness, it's not our own righteousness, it's Jesus's. And through his work on the cross, we are given it as a free gift through knowing Christ. So our godliness is grounded in grace, and we share in Christ's glory and excellence by the grace of God. So, guys, do we understand why that's incredible news this morning? Because no matter where we are stuck in our sinfulness, because of God's grace and what Christ has given us, 
this new nature, his own godliness, we are no longer bound to our sin. We are no longer stuck in our sin. We can move forward no matter where we are stuck to become more like Jesus because he has covered our sin and made us new. So when I come home on a Thursday night and I've been pouring my studies into a sermon and I've been taking phone calls and meeting with people and and just my day has been full with so much great stuff but I'm tired and I get home and there's just this sinful thing in me that just desires comfort above all else. I want to get home on a Thursday night. I want to ignore my responsibilities as a father. I want to lay aside my responsibilities to be a godly husband and lift up my wife. And all I want to do is go in a room, turn on Netflix and do nothing. I just want to switch off from the world. I want to become lazy. There's something in me that desires that. And here's the thing. If it was just me by myself, that's where I would go. That would be my life. And the sinful desires within me, that desire to put comfort above all else in my life, that would be the end of my story. But that's not what happens. Because what Peter is saying here is that because I know Jesus Christ, I now have grace to ground my godliness so that when I get home, I'm no longer bound to act in that way, that my sinful nature doesn't lead me into that. I can say, no, you know what, as I enter that door, I know that Christ has given me his own righteousness. My old self was bound to that, but I have been made new in Jesus Christ. And I'm going to go there and empowered and equipped by the Holy Spirit. I'm going to go and I'm going to be the husband that Christ is calling me to be. And when my sin wants to take me away into that room of comfort, I can say no. Because here's the thing. My ability to act godly in that situation is not based on my own strength and ability. It is based on the righteousness of Jesus upon his grace in which I am grounded. And that's how we grow as human beings. That is such a hopeful truth for us this morning, to know that it is not on our own merit, our own strength, our own ability that we pursue a Christ-like character. No, it is the gift of God by his grace that moves us forward. We are grounded in godliness, and his grace grounds our godliness. So next he moves on to show us that Not only are we grounded in this grace, not only is that the grounds of our godliness, but also that his grace grows our godliness. So Peter's just laid down this first point. He's kind of given us the theological basis for all all human growth in Christ-likeness. And then he says this, for this very reason, so because of what we have available to us in Jesus, because we are grounded in grace, make every effort to supplement your faith. And what do we see him going on to say? For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter's point here is really clear. Perhaps it's offensively clear to us. We we live in a culture where we don't like to be called out on things. And we want to make it all very Canadian and nice and apologetic. But Peter is, 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 is bringing to us this morning a very clear word that gets past that. It gets to the heart. And that is this, that spiritual growth is not a matter that we can take lightly, guys. And because we are grounded in grace, we shouldn't remain the same, but we should be growing in our godliness. That the grace that grounds us doesn't keep us where we are, but allows us and beckons us to move forward. I want to touch on that list that we see Peter laying out. 
And I think it's really helpful for us because he's not trying to give us an exhaustive list to say, here's everything you need to do to be a godly person. No, he's giving us some categories, some things to look at to kind of help us have a, a self-check in this morning. And it's kind of interesting the way he does that. Hey? He kind of lists one and then ties it to the next one. And it almost seems like we're supposed to start at the bottom. Once we've mastered that, we move to the next one. Once we've got that one under control, we move to the next one. But that's not really what he's laying out here. And there's, there's this interesting Greek linguistic device that he's using. And it's not that important to get into the intricacies of it. But basically, you need to understand this morning that he's laying this out in, in a way that we see all of them as, as a complete picture, but we also focus them on as individuals. So it's not a list to kind of climb up and ascend to. We start on this one, we, we, we do it, and then we move on once we've got it. No, the expectation from Peter here is that in all of these things, we are growing. So we're growing in this one, and we're growing in this one, and that together, we are moving forward in them. So I just want to read through these and, and just take a brief look at what each one is. And my hope is that as we go through these, we can maybe check in with ourselves. How are we doing on these things? Are these, are these attributes that he's describing things that describe our life in God? So let's look at that first one that he brings in. Virtue. Virtue. This word has a rich history in Greek literature. To live a life of virtue means to live a life that is worthy of praise. To live a life which is honorable. Doing the right thing the virtuous thing, regardless of the outcome, regardless of what's in it for me, am I doing the right thing, even if no one's looking? Is my life marked by bravery, generosity, and acting appropriately to all? How are we doing with our virtue? Then he moves on to talk about knowledge. And this is different than the knowledge we just read about in verse 3. This is a specific kind of knowledge. It's a knowledge applied, practical knowledge on how to live out a godly Christian life. Wisdom and discernment. Are we growing in our Christian wisdom? Are we growing in our ability to be discerning about the Christian life? I'll just give an example for what this might look like. Are we growing in the way that we're able to articulate our Christian beliefs in this culture, in this world? Do we read the news headlines and think passively about what's going on when we hear about abortion, when we hear about end-of-life care, when we hear about what's going on with Trump and North and South Korea and all these different things? Do we just kind of like soak it all in or do we allow our Christian worldview to inform us, to think deeply about these things and wrestle with culture? Are we growing in applied wisdom, applied knowledge and discernment and how to live in a Christ-like way? How are we doing on that? Self-control. Are we saying no to ungodly passions? Do we have a handle on our temptation? Guys, are we learning to, to think before speaking? Are we able to say no to that second burger off the Wendy's or McDonald's value menu? Are we able to do that? Are we able to not get the supersize? Are we able to be on Instagram or Facebook and turn away from those hashtags or those accounts that we know are going to lead us into sinful, lustful patterns and thoughts? As we're driving and someone cuts us off and does something really, really stupid, do we fly off the handle or are we able to exercise self-control? How are we doing? He then moves on to steadfastness. Do we keep going? Do we weather the storms? Are we standing firm when temptation comes our way, not just in a, a momentary thing, but perhaps for weeks and months and years on end? 
As materialism and the desire to possess things and find our meaning in our wealth and our pensions and our jobs, over the years, are we able to resist that and stand firm on the fact that Christ is the basis for who we are? When suffering hits us, do we continue to stand on the promises of God? Or do we kind of get blown around by the winds of life? And when an unexpected situation hits us, we just, we crumble. Or do we remain steadfast, anchored, unshakable, grounded in grace? He then moves on to this word godliness, which we've already noted, really is this catch-all phrase to, to speak about a virtuous God-like life, where we are reflecting the very character and moral perfection of God in our life. But it's interesting, in 1 Peter, in chapter 2, he actually kind of gives us three things that might help us to understand godliness in a different way. And I just wanted to read those to you. Firstly, in this chapter, in in 1 Peter chapter 2, you can look it up later, he says that godliness is linked to a willingness to submit to authority. How are we doing with leader figures in our life? Are we willing to humbly submit to those in leadership? Number two, a willingness to embrace suffering. How are we doing? How do we view? How do we walk through? How do we process our suffering? And thirdly, humble service. And then he moves on to brotherly affection. What kind of people are we? How do we relate with other people in our life? Do we primarily seek vengeance and try to exercise power? Or do we extend grace and lift others up? Are we the kind of person that's known for lifting other people up above ourselves, no matter what the cost is to us? Do we enter relationships sacrificially, or are we just in them to get what we want? Do we do everything we can to keep those people in our life that maybe pour into us and make us feel good and then in those more tricky relationships where we have to to give a lot more do we avoid those we stay as far away as we can from people who are going to ask things of us or when it's tricky do we love do we show affection are we the kind of friend that extends forgiveness do we hold things over people or do we warmly lift them up and then finally he talks about love This is a big one. We talk about love a lot here. Are we reflecting God's loving nature? If someone looked at our life, would they they say of us that we are a person, we are a people who love God and love our neighbor? Is that the kind of person that we are? So Peter's giving us these categories, giving us these characteristics to help us as check-in. How are we doing in our godliness? Are these the kind of things that reflect who we are? Peter has a serious challenge to us in this. He has a serious challenge to Christians who are content with simply being Christians. Nominal in the sense that now that their eternal destination is secure, okay, I've received grace. Jesus is now my way to get to heaven and I'm good. So I'm just going to live my life now. I'm going to do my thing and I kind of know where I'm going. Peter's speaking to someone like that and saying, if you are not growing in godliness, and he's, again, we're not talking about being perfect in all these categories. We're talking about growing in grace. We're talking about seeking and desiring to move forward. Peter's saying, if you're not moving forward in any of these areas, if there is none of these things that you seem to be walking and improving in, then maybe something's going wrong. And we see what he says here. He says that we are spiritually blind, that that kind of person is spiritually 
blind. Do you see what he says in verse 9? For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that which he was cleansed from, his former sins. Some of you may know that I have an eye disease. It's called keratoconus, and I won't go into too much depth, but basically we're supposed to have these happy, like nicely shaped corneas that are kind of just this really nice bowl cut shape. And mine kind of does this like Mount Everest thing where it like peaks, it peaks out. And basically what that does is that it means all the light coming in is just really distorted. It should be coming in nice and concave, but my, my eyes kind of messed up. And I had a bunch of surgeries and stuff over the years to kind of make it better. Um, but it means that my left eye is just like mega blurry. So I'm good with both eyes. My right eye is really, really good by the grace of God. So I can see everyone here this morning. But now I'm like, wait, what's, who's this, what's going on? I, I just, and and the, the, the thing is, it's so bad that kind of th- there's no correction that you can bring through glasses and things like that. So it's funny because sometimes <laughs> it's interesting to see how people react because it's a very, like when you look at the eye, when a medical professional or an optician looks at the eye, like it's very noticeable very quickly. So sometimes people don't expect it. So I was going to Costco a few weeks ago and I went to get an eye exam. So uh, I went to go see the optometrist at Costco. And it's really funny because I mentioned at the beginning to this lady, hey, just so you know, um, like my eyes are kind of different because I have this thing. But I don't think she was really listening. I don't think she was really paying attention. She was kind of writing some stuff down. So before you see the optometrist, she has to do some tests. She kind of puts you on these different machines and, and, and checks your eyes in different ways. And it's really funny because some of them require you having like a decent cornea like to line up all the stuff. So she's just trying for ages and just getting more and more frustrated to get this. She's like, I don't know why it isn't working. Like, what is going on? And I can just see her writing down things and like getting increasingly more worried. She's just kind of writing down like, oh my goodness, what is wrong with this guy's eyes? Like, does he know any of this stuff? And he's just, so she's just writing it all down. And there's this a really funny moment where the, uh, the optometrist comes out and uh, I can kind of see her like bring him over in the corner a little bit. She's just like, look at this. This guy's messed up. <laughs> like, what Like, what are we going to do? And I was just like, hey guys, um, I- I've got an eye disease. It's okay. I-, I-, I know that I have an eye disease. Like everyone can take a big breath. You're not about to ruin my life right now. Like I know that my corneas are messed up. And my life is used to that. I'm used to seeing blurry stuff all the time. I know what it's like to have that short-sightedness, to only be able to see what's right in front of me. And it sucks. It's terrible. And Peter is saying that there are some Christians who live like this, where they've accepted Jesus Christ and they've kind of just checked out. Because he's talking about Christians here. He's not talking about non-Christians. He's saying there are some Christians who are not moving forward in godliness. And what does he give as the reason of that? He says, because they've forgotten what they were once forgiven of. And there is a real temptation to do this in our life, which is we have this crisis moment at the beginning of our faith where we realize, oh, I'm so sinful. Lord, I need you to cover my past. I need your grace right now in this moment. But then what happens is we enter into a relationship with him by grace. Then we kind of think we're done with the gospel. We think that the gospel got us to where we are. And now, okay, I'm going to start moving forward. I'm going to hustle. I'm going to grow. I'm going to do this. I'm going to fill up my calendar with Christian events. I'm going to go to every uh, Christian cause and I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to grow. And the thing that he's saying here is that we are so spiritually blind sometimes when we forget what we've been forgiven of. And here's the thing. When we move away from grace, we may have entered into relationship by grace, but so often we then continue under our own steam. And Peter's saying that you're never going to grow that way. Because it's not our strength that grows us. It's not. It's 
God's grace given to us that grows our godliness. So there's this real strong challenge this morning for us. So if we're in a place today where our Christianity kind of just stays the same, we show up on a Sunday, I kind of know that through Jesus I'm saved, I kind of know where I'm going. Peter is saying, if you are not growing in these things, you are spiritually blind. You've missed the point that daily you are to depend on God's grace, that his grace not just grounds us, but it grows us, it leads us forward, it calls us forward, it moves us forward. And so often the reason that that isn't happening is we've become blind, we've forgotten our true need for Jesus's grace. We've taken it once, but we've kind of moved on from it. No, Peter's calling us back. A daily dependence upon his grace. We never graduate from our need for the grace of Jesus Christ. Grace not only grounds our godliness, but it grows our godliness. Which brings us to these last two verses as we close. Verses 10 and 11. I think there's something beautiful when we remember the story of Peter before we read these verses. They take on great significance when we think of the apostle Peter and the life that he led. This is a man who walked side by side with Jesus. This is a man who ultimately went on to build much of the early church. Peter was a man who expressed great godliness in his life, walked with Jesus. But here's the thing. We also know of the apostle Peter that he had a profound failure. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, we read in these gospel accounts that Peter denied knowing Jesus three times. He completely denied. He completely turned his back on his faith, turned his back on the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the most profound way, he betrayed Jesus Christ. And he failed in every category just that we read through there in godliness. He was completely down and out. That's the story of Peter. Yet look where we are now. Look what he says in verse 10 and 11. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent. Be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If it was on the basis of Peter's life and Peter's merits and Peter's strength and Peter's own ability to exercise godliness in his life, he would be out, bankrupt, done. That eternal kingdom would not be an option for him. But he's just laid out that his grace and his, his godliness, sorry, is grounded in the grace of Jesus. It's through knowing Christ that he now has access to the power of God to grow him in godliness in a way that he never could. And he has this vision of where he's going with confidence. He's saying that in these things, we can know this godly life that we're expressing. We can know that we are going towards a heavenly kingdom. So what he's not saying is, I'm going to work really hard to get this godliness. And if I get enough of it, I'm going to heaven. No, he's saying that because of the grace that grounds us, we are going to grow in godliness. And as we do that, it's a sure sign that we are heading towards an eternal life, an eternal destiny with Jesus Christ by his grace as we grow in his grace. A man who experienced profound failure like many of us have experienced. 
He reminds us this morning that the grounds upon which his godliness is based and how he can grow is the grace of God. Do you have that knowledge of Christ this morning? Verse 3, read it one more time. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Do you have that knowledge? Do you know Jesus today? Do you have his spirit in you? Do you know Jesus? Are you grounded in grace? Do you know the true joy of having the spirit of God in you, bringing a new Christ-like nature that brings freedom from sin and the ability to move forward in godliness? Do you know Jesus personally? And for those of us who are grounded in this grace, you know Jesus Are you still growing in his grace? Are you committing yourself to daily moving forward in these areas that we would look more like him? Have you lost sight of your own need for that grace? Have you started to wander away and become passive? Or perhaps even more subtly, you've wandered away and started to do things under your own steam. Have you become spiritually blind? Have you checked out, forgotten your need for that grace? Peter is inviting every one of us this morning to a transformed life. The way of Jesus, whereby God the Father has poured out his grace on us that we might know Jesus, have true intimate relationship with him by the Spirit, that our sins would be covered by that grace and that that same grace would provide the grounds for all progress in godliness. And it's that same rhythms of grace that keep us Growing in godliness. Prayer. Spending time in his living word. Committing ourselves to Christian community and his church. Coming to God in repentance daily. Once again, reminding ourselves of that need for his grace. And daily to seeking to live out Christ's righteousness and not be bound by our old sinful nature. And once again, it's all by his grace. The grace of God grounds and grows our godliness. Let's pray. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make us whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. God, I thank you this morning that I know where I'm going. I know that my soul is secure. And the reason I have that confidence is not because I'm crushing it in all of these categories that I can look at this and say, hey, this is who I am. I am this godly man. And on the basis of my own godliness, I'm going to heaven. No, Lord, it's on the basis of your godliness, your moral perfection, your grace that you've chosen to extend to me and every person in this room this morning. What hope we see In the words of Peter today, who is saying that no matter where we are stuck, if we are in a place where we can no longer, under our own steam, move forward, well, that drives us to your grace. The need to be grounded in the knowledge of Jesus, to be grounded in grace. And Lord, by daily placing ourselves under your lordship, under your grace, recognizing that this old sinful self has been crucified with you 
And by putting on that new Christ-like nature, we can move forward in these godly things. And it's not our strength. It's your grace that gets us there. And that's such an encouragement because no matter what we're struggling with, if we're having issues in our marriage, if we're having issues with our anger, if we're having lustful thoughts that we can't control, if we are in this place where anxiety is overwhelming us, if we just cannot get our money right and we're spending too much on material things and we're failing to give, And if we're in a place where we're lying, we're overinflating our own accomplishments, Lord, to feel better about ourselves, no matter where we are stuck, every one of us has hope this morning because we do not grow based on our own ability, but on your grace. And that's so hopeful this morning because you, God, are so faithful and we can entrust our lives to you. We can entrust every part of us to you. We thank you this morning. And God, I pray for those who perhaps have never been grounded in grace. They've never actually come to you and asked you, Lord, I need your grace. Lord, would you forgive me of my past? Would you forgive me of my sins, the ways that I have fallen short of your desire for my life, the ways that I have hurt you and turned against you? And Lord, would you now wash me clean by your grace? If there's anyone in this place this morning that has never done that, this is the time, this is the moment. Wait no longer. Ground yourself in his grace. Receive the free offer of salvation this morning that we do not deserve. Jesus, I pray for those people if they're here this morning. Would you bring them into your care? Would you bring them into your family? You bring them into relationship with God the Father through what you have done. And Lord, I pray for those who have maybe drifted, who have become spiritually blind. We no longer see what's right in front of us. Bring us back to a daily dependence upon your grace. That we will be breathing it in. Lord Jesus, we love you. We pray these things in your name. Amen.